Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, past chair of the National Council on Aging, still serves on that board, and is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Nice to see you. Thank you very much. Hope you had a good week. I've had a lovely week. You know, this is we're moving into spring. We're in San Antonio, Texas, and so well, the red buds are blooming. The red buds are blooming, and the mountain laurels. And you walk down the street, and you just get that whiff of it's all incredible. the of the flowers. And I know I was out of state over the weekend where there was snow, snow, snow. So you, you come back, and it's warm, and it's starting to be spring, and it's you know still early in the year. Yeah, there's not enough winter here for crocuses. No, my flowers start coming up in January usually. Wow. Welcome to South Texas. To South Texas. So we're going to have a really neat guest coming up, Denise Brown, founder of one of the nation's oldest and most effective caregiving websites called caregiving.com. She got into it before a lot of people. Before anybody even knew what caregiving was. It was not an official anything. Although it was being done. It was being done. It's been being wow. done for quite a while. Now, we teased this last week. Take a look at President Trump. How do you rate his first year for older adults. Well, you know, this is something I, you know, we're not taking We're not any, political. We're not taking any sides. And I will tell you that if, you know, President Obama it was also rated, and so everybody has pluses and minuses. And President Obama, you know, actually, if, if you're um, a, an Obama fan, you know, it might surprise you to know that he didn't, there was not a lot for older persons in his agenda. Um, and so... And when we look at President Trump, you know, overall, this is Chris Farrell's list from Next Avenue. You know, he gives Trump a C. So if we look, you know, why did he get a C? Uh, we can see that in terms of one of the things President Trump does like to talk about is the high employment numbers we have now. And indeed, in his first two years, older persons are working more. And so that that particular um, indices got a, an A. Um, age discrimination. You know, I know that some of the rules on age discrimination are, are not as strong as they used to be, but apparently the uh, president of the Equal Opportunity Commission, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, has really been an advocate for older workers. And so that's been a little bit stronger. Uh, now let's talk about health care. Well, we all know we all know that President Trump is not a fan of the Affordable Care Act, and a lot of people age under the age of sixty-five who don't have Medicare, uh, fifty-four to fifty-five to sixty-four, rely on the Affordable Care Act for to make their insurance affordable. And obviously, he gets a great F on that because it's still around, but he's, to kill he's it. not he's not exactly trying to support that. Um, and so, Social Security, he hasn't done anything to it. But he hasn't done anything to help it. So this gets a grade C. I would say that's probably right because you're not you hasn't done anything bad, but he hasn't done anything good. Um and then uh the in terms of the fiduciary rule, investing, helping put money in the pockets of folks, I got an F because you know, most of the financial services, you know, there was a rule that said people who act um give financial advice to folks 
should always act in the best interest of the person they're investing for. Well, as pre- opposed to the corporate side. As opposed to the corporate side, and the Trump administration uh, reversed that and said, no, they, they don't have to act in the best interest of that person, which is a little bit hard for some of us to understand. So that got an F. So it's kind of a mixed bag. I think you would find that with most administrations. Um, but, you know, if you're interested, you can uh, Google Chris Farrell at Next Avenue, and you can read all of President Trump's scores in his first two years online. Cool. How about letting health care get in the way of your life? Well, you know, the, the health care is kind of a, a thread through a lot of our shows. Um, and this particular article was written um, again in Next Avenue from, uh, from the John A. Hartford Foundation, Terry Fulmer, who is the president of the John A. Hartford Foundation. And she's also a nurse. She's done a lot uh, in hospice. She's done a lot in elder abuse prevention. But what she was talking about, and I think that um, caregivers, any caregiver who's been in a hospital situation or a, or a healthcare situation, you know, there are protocols that this is what doctors do when you have a particular illness or something happens. This is what they do. But, you know, as it comes to end of life, sometimes um, the medical profession can get in the way of living fully up to the end in the way you want. Um, So think about too much pain medication that keeps somebody who has cancer always groggy, unable to participate in conversation, and, and really not aware of their surroundings. That's where palliative care can play a role. That And palliative care can play a powerful role. And if you don't know to ask for palliative care, who is going to offer it to you? It's still so new. And so as caregivers... You know, we need to have help the healthcare professionals have conversations with our loved ones about what they want and they don't want so that they, you know, healthcare is not getting in the way of them living their life. And, and I think the palliative care is a perfect example because in WellMed at our palliative care department, they'll ask you what's most important to you. Maybe it's having enough energy to go to, you know, your granddaughter's ballet recital. Um, and so, you know, that's that's what you want to do. Maybe it's, you know, living just to see a graduation uh, and you're not interested in five more years. So how do you want to spend your time? How do you want to spend your energy? So Terry Fulmer is, is helping us and encouraging us as caregivers to have that conversation with our loved ones, a person we're caring for, and the health care provider so we're all in the loop and health care isn't happening to us. Dr. Robin Eikoff, uh, who... Uh, with me launched WellMed Radio and then occasionally fills in for Cora Juke, nurse practitioner, tells a story Robin does about a patient of hers who was a Korean War veteran who wanted to go back to Washington, this is a couple of years ago, to see the Korean War Memorial. And his family uh, was very concerned about it because they said, you know, it's going to kill him. He, he's not up to doing that travel, but he wanted to do it. And so Working with Dr. Eikoff, they made that trip happen through the hero flights that come out of San Antonio. Uh, He went. uh, It was an incredible time for him. He came back, and shortly thereafter, he passed away. And I said to Robin, you know, what were your thoughts about that? She said, my thoughts were this is what he wanted to do. It made him incredibly happy and satisfied. It was in some ways an appropriate conclusion to all of what his life was about. So I felt good about it. Well, Not that he died, but I felt good about it. Right. And and I think that it's wonderful when you have a physician 
who can recognize that because, you know, as physicians are trained to to cure diseases, um, and so sometimes it takes special physicians to be able to work with older persons who are not going to get any better um, and who may be in failing health. So what's important to you? I think She gave him uh, great joy. That's, that's terrific. It's pretty cool. Let's move from that to something even more powerful, the Chronic Care Act. Well, the cr- sounds important. It does sound important. It passed last year, but it's kind of being implemented this year in a bigger way in Medicare. I've been involved in discussions about new supplemental benefits under Medicare Advantage uh, that'll be offered. Uh, there's some are offered this year in 2019, but it'll be even stronger in 2020, where we, they have more flexibility to cover non-medical benefits like bathroom grab bars, wheelchair ramps, meals on wheels. Um, emergency response systems, you know, there's, for people that have chronic illness and need a lot of care, there are things that they need around them that are non-medical supports that help them to keep out of the hospital. If you're food insecure, you know, if you don't, can't get get safely in and out of your bathtub, you're at risk of a fall um, because, you know, somebody's frail. So these are all great things. It extends telehealth services, um, to more people, and if somebody's having a stroke, regardless of what the the rules are in for telehealth in your area, if you think you're having a stroke, it allows for telehealth immediately, so somebody can look at you and say you need to get to the cool. hospital. Um, it allows uh, more access to home dialysis for people who have um, diabetes or kidney disease, and that's a huge transportation right. burden, right. and and it's difficult. I've known people on dialysis where. They'd go three days a week. They have to get on the special tr- paratrans two hours early, ride to the appointment, get the appointment, wait for the bus to come back. They're not feeling well. Ride all the way back. And that can be very uncomfortable. So I think that's great. So all of these, uh, the Chronic Care Act allows more flexibility under Medicare uh, for Medicare to do a better job of coordinating services for folks who have chronic illness. So if you're a caregiver, you should be aware of what the benefits are that you may be missing well, for and, the person you're caring for. And that's what's important, you know, that when you choose that Medicare plan every year, every year, and it changes, like these were all new. You didn't see this in 2018. What Some of the things I talked about, you're not, you didn't see in 2019. You won't see them in all plans in 2020, but there will be some plans. And so that decision on your Medicare, what type of Medicare you get and what what benefits come with it, it's complicated. And I encourage you as a caregiver to either talk to your area agency on aging, they have benefits counselors, or to talk to a broker that deals with all of these plans, someone that you trust, um, and, and find out what those benefits are because they're different, they're changing, and it might be something that could really help your situation. It's a pretty good example of government doing something that really benefits patients. Well, and this, you know, this particular, we were grading President Trump earlier on health care. He got an F under Affordable Care Act, but actually the Chronic Care Act um, is something on his side that he gets a big plus column uh, because they're saying this is probably the biggest change to Medicare since the Part D um, the where you could pay for prescription drugs. Right. And, and people don't even remember how bad it was before. You think drugs are high. Well, before Part D, you couldn't even get drugs at all. But falling into the donut hole is not fun. It isn't fun. That's that's the way everything was. Uh, falling into the hole is, right. is exactly what everything was. Last one. Depression 
and aging. So one de- minute. One minute, depression and aging. So this was something that you sent me that asked the question, does depression speed brain aging? And so I think the answer basically was, um, this is from the Associated Press, was that it can, I'll say, illuminate problems in the brain. So depression will aggravate. If you have cognitive impairment, it's going to make it seem worse. Um, Does it speed it up? I don't think they know that. Um, And it's kind of tricky to study that because they actually have to inject dye and stuff that sticks to the plaques and tangles of your brain. I don't know that I'm volunteering for that particular (laughs) test. Uh, But the fact that they're looking at it, because what happens is as your brain ages, things get cause inflammation in your brain that normally it wouldn't. And depression may help speed that up, Uh. um, which can trigger more cognitive impairment. So. Bottom line, if you suspect you have depression, that's a bad thing to live with. That's hard. Get treated, and you're probably also protecting your brain. Would you go to the test for donuts and coffee? Would you go to the, de- <laughs> to the test for donuts and coffee? Do you want fries with that? Ah, maybe yeah, not. Maybe not. Thank you. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Up next, we welcome Denise Brown to our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline on 930 AM, The Answer. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to well, I'm at radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We're delighted to welcome our special guest in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. And Denise Brown joins us, founder of caregiving.com. She's on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline. And Denise, wow, you have written so much about caregiving. Were you ever a caregiver? I actually started helping my parents in 2004. So I had been working with family caregivers for about 14 years before I started my own personal experience. My parents are now 87 and 84, and they live independently near me, so I help them as needed. Wow, I want to sign you up as my caregiver. Really, you're, best, you're, doing, a great, you're yeah. doing a great job. <laughs> that's well, that, a good that's, record. That's interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what's interesting about it is everybody had this idea I would do it perfectly, because I'd been working with family caregivers so long, and I'll tell you, you can't do this experience perfectly. When it's personal, it's much different, and you just can't predict what's going to happen. There's a disease process that's unpredictable. In my family, the family dynamics were unpredictable, and just the values and priorities of my parents became so much more apparent that were different than mine. You know, they wanted to be independent. I wanted them to be safe. And for whatever reason, we couldn't really 
find a common ground, so they won. <laughs> and they're independent. Well, there you go. And, and I appreciate that. Actually, now I didn't get that at the time when we were going through where's the best living situation for them. But now I think this is where they want to be, and it's their life. I'm not here to live it for them. I'm here to just ensure, you know, that they have the help that they need and want. Well, would that more caregivers approach that in the same way rather than trying to control and dictate, listening, hearing, and saying what you said, hey, you know what? It's their life. If they fall off the tricycle, that's their problem. Well, I, you know, I had this idea in my head. I really wanted them to have a gentle death. And at the time, they were living in a retirement community. They had an apartment with carpeted floors. The CNA is one phone call away. And they just, my mom just said, I'm not, literally, she said, I am not dying in this dump. And it oh. wasn't a dump, but she was But she just hated it. Yeah, she, she didn't like it. She wasn't happy. No. And they moved across the street, if you can believe it. They literally moved across the street to their own apartment that has hardwood floors. And I have been there many a time picking them up. And it's been blood and gore. And I think, but this is how they want it. And it's, it's okay. It's okay. Just get Ooh. rid of the throw rugs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, there are, yeah, no throw rugs. But I'll tell you what, there's still other things that happen. Of course. Oh, my gosh. But it's, it's their choice. And I feel really good about the fact that they're living life the way they want. So tell us, how did you get into the field of writing about support groups, talking about caregiving. Right, because you've been around, I mean, back in you st- caregiving.com, which was the one of the original caregiving websites, started in 96. You weren't, you said you started caregiving in 2004. So what led you to be a pioneer in the caregiving field? I'm actually a writer. And then when I graduated from college in 85, way back when, I wor- worked as a writer for trade magazines. And if you've ever looked at a trade magazine, it's all about the ads, and no one really reads what anybody writes, and that drove me nuts. You know, I have a big ego, and I wanted people to read what I wrote. So I decided to switch gears and see what else was out there. And at the time, I lived in New Jersey, so I could get some freelance work writing out of New York City. I needed to get a part-time job, so I found this part-time job in this little town along the Delaware River in New Jersey managing a congregate meal site. And it's where seniors in this small town went for a noon hot lunch, and it's where we delivered Meals on Wheels. And that was my first entree into having adult children call and say, hey, did my mom come for lunch today? How did she look to you? And then from there, I worked in the office. I got promoted to the office, and I managed a respite care program that's still going on in the state of New Jersey. New Jersey was very innovative about providing support services for family caregivers. They launched a respite care program in the mid-'80s, and they fund it through casino revenues. So I managed that program for a county in New Jersey, and I would go and visit family caregivers and ask them, how can we help and support you? What's a respite plan for you? The program provided adult day, home health, long-term care, short-term stays, And the family caregivers could qualify based on a sliding scale feel. It was just amazing. And it was just this awesome experience as a writer to to really talk to family caregivers about what their life is like, what the impact has been on them. And from the perspective of a story, a personal caregiving experience has all the elements of a great story. You know, there's a mystery, there's drama, there's comedy. 
I mean, it's everything you'd want from a writer's perspective. So that really hooked me in. Once I started listening to the stories, I wanted more stories. And that's what led me to start a business, really to help and support and broadcast their stories. That's pretty cool. Denise Brown is with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerniel, you hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, and Denise, when I was looking at your list of books, the eight books that you've written, what what stood out to me um, was the you, the titles where you have the Take Comfort, Reflections of Hope, Take Comfort 2, More Reflections of Hope, um, and you know, six stages to a meaningful journey where you started out. So there's um, the hopefulness and the positive way you approach caregiving. You know, why is that important? Like like at the beginning, six stage to a meaningful journey. You know, what's the message there? That it's not all for naught. In a difficult day, you can ask why. You know, why us? What's the point of all this? I think of a question that a family caregiver posed on the website many years ago, which is, how do we endure the pain and suffering? How do we? And I wanted to provide some answers. Not the answers, but perhaps perhaps a path to your answers. What does it mean for you? What can you learn and grow from a really difficult time in your life? And what's interesting is when I think about really intense times for me as a personal family caregiver, those have been the times when I've just taken pen to paper and really wrote my best stuff. And so I think that there is something that we can take from the experience, whether it be creativity or advocacy or just a different viewpoint on life and thinking about it in terms of what's, what's really matter, what's really important to us. And when it comes down to it, it's relationships. And I think we have this, I, this ability to really form close, valuable relationships during caregiving. Maybe not with the people that were part of our life before, but certainly during, because that's what life is about. It's the relationships. As you think about uh, then moving from writing about it, talking about it, helping folks into, in 2004, caregiving uh, for your parents, uh, how was that transition for you? It was a little intimidating, I have to be honest with you. And it really was this idea that, oh, my gosh, I'm an expert. Now I have to do this, like, really perfectly. It was intimidating. And I will also tell you that sometimes I think, man, I am the worst. <laughs> I, am, I am the worst family caregiver You're, you're, you're holding yourself up to see. There's days where I think, wow, I'm really blowing this. <laughs> yeah, you got all those I think stories. that's what gets me sometimes. Even now, it's just that it feels very intimidating. Well, I think almost every caregiver feels that way. Yes. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Do, do you have moments where I know that, you know, it, having worked in the field of aging and also done some caregiving, there are times when I can see the train wreck that's coming and there's nothing I can do to stop it. And nobody else is really seeing what's coming. Um, do you ever have moments like, oh, I know what I know where this is going. Uh, well, and then you just kind of clench your teeth and go ahead and let the storm hit. You know what's kind of interesting about that? I have a tendency to hit the panic button a little bit more with my parents than I typically do. And I think sometimes my siblings are like, oh, she's overreacting again. I just think my parents have this ability to rebound that is so surprising to me. My dad was just hospitalized at the end of January. He almost died, and he was in the hospital for six days, went back home, and honest to goodness, he recovered faster than from that than I did from the flu. How old is he? So I, so I think it's interesting. I, 
I think I see the train wreck, and then I call it, and then I think, oh, that and it, wasn't. And then it doesn't happen. <laughs> and then it doesn't happen. Well, that's good. I'm glad. To, I'm glad that your father is so resilient. Yes. 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 Did you not see that in him? Uh, you know, I, I guess I didn't see it to the extent that I do now. Thank you for that question. I have been thinking about my dad's childhood. He had a really difficult one, and it's been hard for him to talk about it, so he doesn't really. And just recently, we had a visit from a cousin, his brother's daughter, which led to some conversations about his childhood, and I was able to express to him how much I respect, how much he built a life from nothing. And your question just now makes me think, of course, why wouldn't he be resilient now at 87? He's had 87 years of resiliency. It doesn't just stop now. He's just using what he's already all, all you know, used the, for the entire duration of his life. And well, your mom? And my mom is, well, the story about I'm not dying in this dump is exactly who my mom is. I love it. She, is, <laughs> she speaks her mind, and we fall in line. Well, I think that's great, you know, and there is, um, there's something when somebody gets to be 87, there's something about survival of the fittest, uh, and so I, I, those are the, the people who are really tough cookies uh, and have, have made it through a lot of, of, of illness and experiences, so that's nice to hear. And that line is so New Jersey. You know what's interesting? Huh. My parents and I actually live in Chicago. I'm born and bred. Chicago lived in New Jersey for a short period of time which is where the career started for caregiving. But we're here, we're Irish Catholics from Chicago. So. Ah, there you go. There you go. That's another, that's, well, that's that says cool. a lot, too. Well, Irish Catholics from Chicago are. All right, stick with us a minute. We're going to come right back to you having a fascinating conversation with Denise Brown. She is the founder of caregiving.com. And if you haven't been to that website, you need to jump there right now. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel. Caregiver SOS on air is what you're listening to on 930 AM, The Answer. A fascinating conversation with a woman who spent a lot of her years talking about and helping caregivers and then becoming a caregiver. Denise Brown, founder of Caregiving.com, is with us on our Caregiver SOS on-air hotline. Well, Denise, let me ask you, another of your titles that caught my eye was Take Time, a Journal and Journey Towards Greater Happiness During an Unhappy Time. So that seems to recognize that dichotomy between the the some of the love that I hear, you know, you talking about that you have for your parents and the unhappy time dealing with illness. But, but if you, when you talk to caregivers, you know, what do you tell them about finding happiness in that difficult situations? I think you have to put a plan in place to have it. And what's interesting is Gretchen Rubin wrote The Happiness Project. I think it was in 2000. And she wrote the book because her husband has a chronic illness that was maintained. But the idea was, could she be happy when his chronic illness became more significant, had an impact on their life? So each month she put together a plan for what she was going to do to bring herself greater happiness. So we did that on caregiving.com. We had a plan every month to create moments of happiness for ourselves. And when I think about that, I think about simple things like, I decided I was going to give up taking a plastic bag from the grocery store when I went shopping and instead bring my canvas bag. 
Now, you wouldn't think that that would bring happiness, but that gives me great happiness. I think we, we have this idea that happiness is the big miracle, the big significant shift in our life, when really it could be just simple steps that we take every day that make us feel calmer, that maybe create a little more time in our day, that maybe make us feel like, okay, I have control over this. Maybe the rest of my life is out of control, but this is, this is under my control, and that's making me feel good and happy. Well, I love the thought of planning for happiness. I'm not sure many of us schedule that into the calendar and actually put the plan in motion. When you're talking with caregivers, do you hear them sometimes say that maybe they, they, there's not time for happiness or they're not deserving happiness because they're not, they haven't done as good a job? You were talking about not being a perfect caregiver. And I think a lot of people feel that way, that they're somehow, that they don't mix. You can't have happiness during bad times. I think that's, really something we struggle with and it goes back to the question how do we do endure the pain and suffering so someone in the family is not well that's not happy how do we then feel like oh my gosh how do I have happiness and I think the key is to remember that it's about joy and happiness and it's not about frivolous it's about meaningful powerful moments in your day or in your week that connect you to something that brings you joy, a smile, a laughter. And boy, I think the irony of it is, during a time that feels like the worst, boy, do we need happiness and joy. We have to make time for it. We have to find it, and we have to keep it when we do get it. Well, and sometimes, you know, caregivers are not taking care of someone they have a good relationship with. They may have had a really rough ride with their parents, and now suddenly they're taking care of them or a brother or a sister or, you know. We even had a caregiver in one of our support groups who divorced her husband years ago, and when he got Alzheimer's in late life, the the children brought dad back to her, and he had remarried, uh, and the other wife had died, and they said, now you need to take care of dad. And she had divorced him years ago. Yeah, we call that uh, an uncooperative carry. <laughs> That's the term we use on caregiving.com. But she did and it. Yeah, and you actually use the term carry rather than care recipient rather than loved one because sometimes we care for someone in the family who really doesn't feel like a loved one. And yeah. I think it's important for us to re- really respect the limits that make us feel safe and okay in a caregiving relationship rather than having someone else tell us what's appropriate to do. It's really our decision. What's right for us? And then looking out into the community, into other uh, resources to fill in the cracks. And actually for any situation, we can't do everything for everyone. It's good to delegate. It's good to accept that help. And it's good to talk out what could be helpful to me in this situation. We don't have to just put our head down and make the best of it. We can look up and say, okay, there could be a better way. What is it? So when you get uh, requests or talk with someone uh, who's been approached to be a caregiver uh, who wants to say, no, uh, you know, I'm not inclined to do that, is it okay to say no? I would say yes. And here's a, a really interesting example of that. I was leading a support group, and it actually was based on the concept, the six stages that I developed. We were going through the stages 
there was one member of the support group that said, you know, I just don't really know about my mom moving in. What do you think? I need to find resources to help her. And so we gave her all these great ideas and suggestions. And to everyone, she said, nah, that's, yeah, that's not going to work. Nah, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. We just accepted her nose. And at the end, she started crying. And I said, what's going on? She said, I just realized I don't want my mom to move in with me. That's what the no was all about. I think, oh, my gosh, thank goodness she realized that before. It's so important that we keep our wishes in mind, too. And we don't have to give up everything. We don't have to make these really significant sacrifices for others all the time. We can be part of a compromise. We can find a solution that works for both of us. We don't have to give up everything. Because in a situation like that, had the mother moved in, that's a script for disaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. You could see where that would go. Carol, you talked about a train wreck. That's a train wreck. And it's a train wreck that's really hard to recover from, too. Well, and I think that you you, you brought up the idea of, of planning for happiness and, and boundaries. And sometimes it is those boundaries. It's the saying, no, there are situations that... Um, as you mentioned, train wreck. And so uh, I think understanding where your limitations are, are are really important for both your long-term health and happiness for you and the person you're caring for. It's interesting. I do a simple stress survey of visitors to caregiving.com, and I ask them to rate their stress from 1 to 5, five five being the most stressful. And the number for the past, oh gosh, three and a half years, almost four years, has been 4.15. And the reason that they say that they are stressed out is that they miss their life. Well, and when, I, you, miss your, when you miss your life, you're hurting. That's stressful. That's stressful. And our goal is to figure out, okay, how can you bring back what you miss most into your life? Again, it's this looking for the compromise rather than settling for the sacrifice. Um, we we had a caregiver years ago um, on the early days of the show that told us, you know, caregivers have to, you know, check their life at the door. They have to, oh. you, they absolutely, and her advice to everyone was just decide right now that you aren't going to have a life. You're going to check that at the door, and from now on, it's about taking care of that loved one. My mouth is open. She, oh, she was the wow. angriest. She was the she most was angry, angry, lady. angry and, and oh, happy person we've wow. ever had, I think, on the show. Yeah. And oh, uh, wow. she railed against it was her mother she was caring for. Right. And, uh, and hated it. Hated every minute of it. But it was her obligation. Right. But she said, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know I'm doing the right thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually something that we really work toward is to figure out how do we keep our life during a life of caregiving. And it's critical because we're going to have a life after caregiving ends, and we want to get into that life in our best shape possible. And that's physically, emotionally, financially. It is hard to start a life again after caregiving ends if you feel like I'm at a terrible weight, I'm in a terrible situation financially, and my spirit is broken. We really want to make sure that we're living fully throughout our life because at some point we're going to have to move into another stage of life after caregiving ends. And, again, we really want to arrive in our best shape possible. My mother went through that. She cared for my dad uh, for quite a while. He had dementia. And uh, when he died, she was a fish out of water because she'd spent so so much time helping him 
and focused on him. It was a very difficult adjustment. Yeah. We do a national caregiving conference every November in Chicago, and we have sessions for those who are currently in a caregiving situation and those who have previously cared for that very reason, so they can connect and share with others who are adjusting to that life after caregiving ends. And our presenters share, this is what I did. This is how I found my new path. I think it's so important for us to remember that our new path happens regardless of our age. Because people will say to me, but I'm going to be 80 when caregiving is over. And I think, okay, what do you want to do when you're 80? Our life is can be full for as long as possible. We don't have to decide that it's over at a certain age. She's Denise Brown, who is the, uh, Denise Brown is the founder of caregiving.com. With us today on Caregiver SOS On Air, I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. You hear us on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Uh, Denise, uh, you could write a book about the stories you hear from the people who have come to you for help. I have thought about that. I have thought about that. I've thought about recording them in a podcast, too. I just can't figure out what's, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Answer. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I just really feel blessed by that that people have shared their story with me, and I do my best to remember all of them because I really do feel like it's an honor to receive them. Well, and and with you, you were talking about you know people could hear things. One of the great things is some of your books are actually available on MP3, where you know if you're a busy caregiver and you don't have time to read, you could actually listen to yeah. some of your work. Yeah, the Take Comfort books in particular do well with the audio. I take a word and I talk about the reality of that word as it applies to caregiving, and then I turn it around a little bit so it feels like I sprinkled it with hope. So even though this is the reality, you're still going to be okay. Give us an example of that. I think of the word um, swallow. So I wrote this when I, I had just a horrible day. My parents were both critically ill at the same time. A terrible situation and I got home and I thought I am getting swallowed up by this I am just swallowed and I just kept writing about swallow the more I wrote about it the more I thought but as I swallow I can breathe and then I was able to move it into I can breathe I'm okay because I can breathe I can take a deep breath I can breathe I can breathe into my next moment I'm okay and it helped yeah yeah That's pretty cool. As you take a look going back, we have about two minutes left. Becoming a caregiver, you mentioned to us, was a bigger challenge than you had imagined, and then you set up these unrealistic uh, goals for yourself to be the best caregiver ever in the history of the world. (laughs) So how have you done? (laughs) And you're still doing it. Yeah, I'm still doing it. You know, I had a success the other day, and I feel good about that. I have been working on funeral planning with my parents for years, and we finally got everything in place this past Sunday. It was a really good conversation. It was very logical. It was very rational. It wasn't emotional. It was just, okay, let's figure this out. And I feel good about having that. And we also had a conversation with my dad about dialysis. He only has one kidney. In January, that one kidney stopped functioning for a little bit. And we talked about, does he want dialysis? And we decided he doesn't. And I felt good about having that decision. I was able to tell my siblings. I know that we're going to talk to my dad's doctor, his general practitioner, and his kidney doctor about his decision. Things like that that you think, oh, thank goodness we've had these conversations. Just takes a little bit of the worry away. 
I want to thank you for being with us. We are flat out of time. If folks want to learn more, caregiving.com is the place to go. Uh, do you speak around the country if folks want to bring you in? Oh, yeah, I love to. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And they can get information off your website. Definitely. Hey, perfect. And my phone number and email address are on every page on caregiving.com, so feel free to reach out with any questions, too. Denise Brown, thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you, guys. This you was really care. fun. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Denise Brown, that was good. Enjoyed Lots talking to Lots of experience. Up next, Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. At the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs, we bring you Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, expert in caregiving and addiction. Carol Zerniel stays with us. I'm Ron Aaron. And we've got an opportunity here, Carol, for Jamie to share a very personal experience that he's been going through, which is very instructive. Right. So, Jamie, you know, we know that your father has been sick. He's been in a hospital. He's been in rehab. Um, and we're wondering, you know, you, you've been there a lot by his side, uh, along with your family members. And so I'm, I'm curious if you're rediscovering what's working and not working uh, when a loved one has to go to a hospital or rehab. I don't want to thank you. This is really raw. And so all of our listeners will, will hear it in vivo. So there'll be a stream of consciousness. But let me try to be as succinct as possible. You know, um, yeah, it's pretty tragic. My father went into the hospital a couple of weeks ago, and um, he is a spry, vibrant, 91-year-old man who literally has gone to work every day uh, in his life. He's an immigration attorney, um, a Holocaust survivor, and um, just a pretty much you know, miraculous individual. But he had to go into the hospital, and he went into the hospital for th- initially for dehydration. The issue when we bring a loved one into the hospital um, they start testing, and they test for everything. They go from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And unfortunately, you know, testing a 91-year-old in every aspect of his body, from liver enzymes to, you know, does he have endocarditis, does he have vasculitis, they're looking for something, and they're always going to find something. So in the hospital, unfortunately, um, it seems like he's gotten a little worse because they're trying to do too much. Well, and I don't think that's, I think there are a lot of us who would say that's not an unusual experience where they they do run so many tests and you're going in for something simple. And I also know that it's not unusual 
with those awful schedules. You know, I was reading about a hospital where they're in the hospital redesign where they don't want to wake people up in the middle of the night when the shift changes at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. and to check your vitals at 3 and in the morning, you know, and it's just so miserable if somebody is, they want to let people sleep, which I thought, wow, that was never my experience with my family in the hospital. That's a great concept. Yeah, but actually too much sleep uh, becomes a very sedentary person. And then when you look at my father, uh, we have to humanize them. And this is where my stepmother comes in. And she's a wonderful caregiver. And as a caregiver, just so our listening audience knows, it's important for you to be part of the healthcare team. It's, and especially in a hospital, advocacy is important. You've you got to provide information about the person's health choices to team members. You have to help the doctors and nurses get better care. My biggest suggestion, which she does absolutely marvelously, and again, she's a double-edged sword, so we'll get to that, is that she humanizes him for the entire group. They, you come in like central casting. You're a 91-year-old guy. Oh, you're not expecting much improvement. This is how you're looked at by the hospital staff. She comes in as the caregiver. She is absolutely zealot, black belt, takes no prisoners from New Jersey. And so she's looked at as the caregiver from hell. And so both of them somehow end up into this typecasted role. But there is such, I believe, a middle ground here that caregivers can can learn from. And, and so when you say um, the caregiver from hell, that's a caregiver in a hospital situation who asks too many questions or has expectations. Who's advocating for the care recipient. <laughs> you, you bet. You both reframed it properly. I mean, I wish and I pray one day I have somebody like my stepmother at my side because you're right. She's doing all the necessary things. She humanizes them. She's making sure the medication's at the right time. She's actually a continuity. So when he wakes up, he sees her and they love each other greatly. Um, but to the staff, obviously, again, it's like central casting. Don't confuse us with the facts. You know, he's just another 91-year-old guy here. And so these, you know, two worlds come together and what happens in hospitals, which are more post-acute now than they ever were. So they try to get you in and get you out, is that they have a very, you know, I think, stigmatizing look at people when they come in. The beauty of what Carol, my stepmother, does is she humanizes them, shows them as an artist, shows them as a philanthropist, shows them as a great lawyer, shows them as a Holocaust survivor, and shows them he has two kids. And so all of a sudden they look at him differently. And that's the beauty of what a, a good caregiver can do. Well, talk a little bit. I know that he was in the hospital and then he has to move. So how has that been, yeah. this transition, this you know, discharge from the hospital into a different location? Tell us in a minute. I want to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel, and Dr. Jamie Heisman is relaying a very personal and real story about his dad, his stepmom, and Jamie. Well, and I thank you for this, uh, to allow me to vent and to, to be at a therapy appointment. Because, you know, as a 91-year-old man, he's not easy to change. And he actually has lived at home and been quite independent and quite healthy. So all of a sudden now, and she, of course, has been the same thing. And she's been his caregiver and her mom's caregiver beforehand. This is her legacy before. Um, so change is really difficult. So now you're in a hospital setting. You're going through hell. Actually, somebody gave him the wrong medication. They gave him prednisone. He had a terrible reaction to it. And, um, and so for him, 
you know, he's not ready to change. He needs to get stable. And then all of a sudden when he got stable, prior to actually him getting stable, they were ready to take him and send him to a rehab because he wasn't ambulatory. So now they want to get him out of the hospital as quick as possible so they can have that bed for somebody else. And him and his wife are not too easy to, to shift and be flexible. They want him stabilized. They want him okay. And then the next thing you know, they give him a list of 20 different places and, of course, they called me up, and I knew every one of those 20 places. And being a Holocaust survivor, my father, I chose the Jewish home because I wanted him to be in a more culturally inviting setting. But it's not been easy. It's been almost intervention after intervention, not just with him, but with the hospital staff. And that's been my role. Well, and it's been, it's been very um, – I, I know from my communications with you that when someone's in the hospital, this is, becomes a full-time job. That's right. I'm looking at my work and all that I need to do and where I need to present, where I need to go. And yet family first. Right. And he's 35, 40 miles south of where I'm at. And so I know that's where I need to be. But as any caregiver, and again, no matter how many books I write or how incredible you are as an expert, Carol, you know, we never know until it happens to us. And I have to tell you, I empathize that maybe this is happening for a reason for every one of our listening audience, because I give this didactic educational overview. But at the end of the day, it's like having kids. If you don't have kids, you don't know really about it. But once you have them, boy, do you ever know. What were the surprises for you? Well, I guess the surprises for me, again, was in there that there were so many unattended people that were not like my father, that did not have a real advocate, caregiver. And to them, I think they were like like Blanche Dubois in Streetcar Named Desire. They were basically depending upon the kindness of strangers. And so my heart went out to them. And my father's heart went out to them when he was conscious and coming back in and out. Because I think if you're unattended, you don't have this level of advocacy. You don't have somebody with a list that can actually uh, tell you about what they need for emotional support, medical care, and assistance. You're pretty lost. So what stood out for me was as tough as she is and as over the top she can be, uh, when you don't have somebody with you, um, you're pretty much a number, and you're pretty much, unfortunately, a projected sort of image, and, and that's not what you want to be in the hospital. Right. And, and, you know, often with our work with caregivers, we do very bluntly say, never leave your loved one alone in a hospital. Um, and, yeah. and I think we, we've also had similar experiences where you see the people that don't have visitors, that don't have family, that are sort of at the mercy of the rounds and what they decide in the rounds. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's not always in the best interest. It's not always what the person wants. And so, you know, that's just my way of reaching out to the listeners and reminding people that if, if you don't have a caregiver, then somebody needs to be your health care power of attorney um, and to be able to call the shots uh, if for some reason a decision needs to be made on, on big, a big decision. Got about 20 seconds, uh, Dr. Jamie. Have you taken your oxygen first? I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. And then to be perfectly blunt with you, when you're in the middle of the storm, I know how difficult it can be. But you do have to do some deep breathing, some mindfulness. You have vagal, what I call vagal uh, nerve work, which is something and the whole, we can do a whole show about. And you must, must do that. And so just a real to the caregivers very quickly, my stepmother literally has not stepped out of that room for the last 10 days. So she has wow. absolutely been by the side 
24-7, but that's what she's been that's doing. That's what it takes. It does take that, and to give her a big hug for us, a hug for you and your dad. Thank you, Dr. Jamie Heisman, Caregiver SOS on Air. Take 10 on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer.